Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 29th of May 2016, entitled Financing God's Work, God's Way. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 30. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand this morning to honour the reading of God's precious, preserved and holy word. Beginning in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye therefore to them that sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according as his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid. I went and hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. 
Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, again, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. We know that we have a limited amount of time this morning. We pray that you would give to us that that we most need to hear. Work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to respond in whatever way we need. We give you praise and thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. A word that always excites Christians, financing. Of course, as we come to that time of year when we have our annual missions conference each year, maybe some aren't here today because they already knew what the sermon was going to be about. <laughs> but we take this time each year to try to prepare our hearts for what God has for us. These missionaries, men and women, these servants of God that will be coming to us during these days, I really don't want them to have to come in here and concentrate upon what we're going to do financially for them. I want them to come in and be able to present the passion of their heart and the work that God has called them to and that we can have a better idea of the needs that are out there and what we can do about them. But of course, it's a time, even if we have mentioned before, that we ask you to already be praying because it's also the time at the end of this conference that we submit our faith promise mission slips, our missions giving for the coming year. And I ask you to make a commitment to the Lord. Now, some people find this strange because it's a lot easier just to maybe pick out and give whatever loose change you can spare to go into the Lord's work for the work of missions. Sometimes we get this idea, and this is what there's so many things, and, and I'm going to put a lot of things up on the screen. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to write them down because I want to give you some points this morning, but we don't have time to run all of the passages. We don't have time to cover it in detail, but I want us to grasp and understand that the financing of God's work is done by God. We get the idea sometimes that God needs us to do His work. We get the idea sometimes that the whole giving that we are asked to do is somehow for God's benefit. I want you to grasp and understand this morning. God gives us the principles to finance the work that he has called us to do. We have no greater work. You all know we love fellowship. We love food. We love doing all the things that we do together as a church. But that's not our main purpose as a body of believers. He has left us a work to do. That work is to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every creature out there. Now, I want us, as we look at this passage, and it is a familiar passage, and I just want us to glance this morning as we find that in reality, we have two things back to back that the Lord Jesus Christ is sharing, and in both of them, he's giving us a message to help us understand the kingdom of heaven better. And in both of those cases, he is giving us things to whereby we can be ready and prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back to this earth. We find that in the first account that he gives us there of the ten virgins, 
It's in that account that we need to recognize and realize that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, if we are not ready to meet him, if we are not one of those that he has come to call unto himself, then it will be too late, just as it was for five of those virgins. There will be no more time. We need, first of all and foremost in our lives, to make absolutely certain that we are ready to meet the Lord when he comes back. But as we begin to look through this passage, I want to, I want to ask you a few questions this morning as we consider these things. And first of all, as we consider, who does it all belong to? Because I think we get the idea sometimes that it's about us giving God something that's ours. It's about us sacrificing what we've worked so hard for and giving it to the church instead. I ask you this morning, who's the owner and who's the steward? Who does it belong to and who is managing it for him? Who's the master and who's the servant? Because it's very, very important because I promise you that it will change our whole outlook. You thought last week we were through with Genesis. 31 sermons as we went through our sermons on, on the, the Genesis account, and we only just scratched the surface. But one of the things I want to remind you of is when we looked in Genesis 1 and 2, one of the things that we saw, the foundational truths that was laid in the book of Genesis is man's accountability to God because God created everything that is. There was nothing without him. There is nothing that exists that can exist without him. We find that the Bible also tells us, if you'll turn to the book of Psalm 24, Psalm 24, and we could read this entire chapter, and you can at your, at your own leisure, but I want you to notice the first two verses that says, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. The word of God says that the whole world and everything that is in it belongs to God. There's no question. We'd find that if we turn into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, notice what the word of God tells us there in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus Christ. He's telling us here that everything that is is because of him, and that's the only reason that we are here is because it's him. Turn back just a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The principle here, everything in this world, everything that is in this world belongs to God. And then even when we come to God, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. Don't you know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Even the flesh and bones that we live in, it all belongs to God. We need to grasp and get in our mind. It's not what we have. It's what God has. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. The Word of God tells us, and that he, Jesus, died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, the principle of Scripture is, who does it all belong to? Well, it's very simple. It all belongs to God. Full stop. Who's the owner and who's the steward? God owns it all. He's left us to be the stewards to manage his affairs for him with what he owns, not what we have. Who's the master? Who's the servant? Folks, we are the servants of the Most High God. It all is his, and he's left us here to accomplish a work for him. You see, giving is easy when it begins with love. I've used the illustration before. Most all of you will have been to the doctor before. Sometimes when you go to the doctor and you tell him something isn't quite right, he starts poking around and pulling around and trying to figure out, you know, what hurts and what doesn't hurt. Well, unless you've got a bad doctor that's poking too hard or beating you over the head, which, you know, sometimes can happen. But most of the time when the pain is felt, it's because something is wrong. Well, most of the time, the reason that we feel some pain when somebody starts talking to us about giving to God's work is because there's something wrong, and it's usually a heart problem. I want you just to grasp and realize that giving gets easy when it begins with love. Always, we find that God loved us, and because God loved us, he gave to us. It was out of his love. We can only even love him because he first loved us. When we love, we will also gladly give to God and to others. The Bible talks about giving hilariously. I mean, it's not a burden. It's not that we dread that guy coming by with the offering plate. It just fills us with joy. We look at our passage in a moment. When I was debating over, wow, you know, with what we want to cover this morning, it, it all comes back to heart, but... What should I really title this? Financing God's work God's way is simply because I want us to realize as we move into this missions conference, we're not asking you to finance God's work. We're asking us to trust God to finance his work. But one of the things that we saw there is when that those that had honored God with what he had gave to them, and he says, well done. A good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the what? Into the joy of the Lord. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Why does the Bible say that it's more blessed to give than to receive? It is such a blessing. It is a joy that comes. And when we love, we enjoy giving. We gladly give to God and to others. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can't even begin. I can't with six children. I can't even begin understand the greatness of that love. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. John wrote that in John 3, 16 under inspiration, but then in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, we find that he wrote something else that says a very, very similar statement. 1 John chapter 3, 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we see it. This is how we know it. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, again, we get into a lot of things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But yet here is God in loving us that gave himself for us. We've looked at that so many times. Jesus in the flesh, incarnate. How do we perceive and know the love of God? Because he gave himself to us. He laid down his life for you and I. Notice what the next two verses say there. But whoso hath the world's good <laughs> and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, a passage that challenges us to our very core. Why does he look back to the world's goods? Why does the Bible talk about it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Why? Because we have a problem with this world's goods, what we see as ours many times, rather than what we are using for God and what we're doing with it for his benefit. He says, I don't want to hear a bunch of words about how you love. When in fact, I want to see you proving that love, showing that love. I prove my love to you by laying down my life for you. That's what giving really. When it comes from the root of that kind of love, then we'll have no problem. <laughs> It'll bring us a joy like none that we've ever known before. Look back to our passage in, in Matthew chapter 25. And as you look there, I just want to point out a couple of things as we look at this. You see, the truth is, as we look at this passage, is that it is God. It is God himself that just as when Jesus Christ was leaving to go back to this earth, he's giving us this picture. I want to show you something about the kingdom of God. First of all, you do need to be ready for the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns because once he returns, that's it. But not only do you need to be ready for, the, for, the, for that, that is our greatest responsibility. And, and, and even though this, this morning may not be, in essence, it may not seem a very evangelistic message, but I never, ever, ever want you to enter these doors and not realize and understand that nothing else matters if you don't belong to God, if you don't come to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our first great responsibility it's just like with those 10 virgins to make sure that we're ready for his coming because once he comes, there will be no more time. But we find in the next part of that passage that we read in verses 14 through 30, that following that, making sure ourselves, if we do belong to God, then we need to recognize we are being held accountable for what we do with what we have in whatever time that we have. 
I want you to simply remember that this morning. What are you doing with what you have? What, not somebody else, but with what you have in the time that you have given us, in the time that God has, has given to you. Because that's what we find is the main theme of this passage that he's put before us. It all belongs to him. Everything. Get our minds off of the selfish attitude that is mine. No, it all belongs to God. Nothing would be here. You would have nothing. You wouldn't have life. You wouldn't have a home to live in. You wouldn't have clothes on your back. You wouldn't have food to eat. You wouldn't have anything without God. So it all belongs to God. But God in the flesh has left to go back to heaven. And in doing that, he has left us a phenomenal responsibility. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and of course we can, we can find the commission that Jesus Christ left us in many places. But this is our theme for this week. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Both. My kids got so tired of hearing me use, use that, that term when I was preaching missions and conferences week after week after week. Both simultaneously, all at the same time. It's not a question of here or there. Jerusalem, at home, Judea, that surrounding area, that, that, that state, that country, Samaria, the neighboring countries to the very uttermost parts of the earth, both witnesses to him all at the same time, everywhere upon the face of this earth, everywhere that there's a lost soul, he's given us the responsibility to do everything that we possibly can to get the gospel to them. And I promise you, that when we begin to grasp, there is not a comfort that we desire or that we have. There is nothing in our lives that's so important that it's worth forsaking that. They have what we have in this life. It's not there. We get our eyes on the things of this earth. We get hung up on those things. I want to give you three things, and I know that some of you have heard these things before. I believe that God gives us the way. And we've seen that first of all, above all else, it begins with love. And it always begins with when God's got our heart, when we give ourselves to him. Forget about what you have. We find even in our account, they had different amounts. One had five and one had two and one had one. Their accountability came with what they have, not what they didn't have. We find that first fruits first fruits. You see, God gives us, and sometimes I've referred to this as three-dimensional giving. When we look at something, sometimes we just see one dimension or two dimensions. We're just seeing part of the picture. When we see it in three dimensions, we see it much clearer. We see all of it. I believe with all my heart that God gives us these three dimensions. And again, take down the passages. Go back and read it because sometimes first fruits, oh no, that word tithes. <laughs> Tithes. That's not meant for us. That's that Old Testament stuff. Let me just point out a few things to you this morning. We find that if we were to look back into the Old Testament, the first place that you find tithes mentioned was again. One of the passages that we recently looked at in our study through the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, 
Notice what he says in verses 18 to 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Abram, Abraham realized he was only where he was, and he only had what he had because of God. He, there was no law yet at this time, folks. The tithe wasn't something that came into existence under the law. This predates the law. This is before the law. And you can look on ahead in Genesis chapter 28, but for the sake of time, look into Hebrews in the New Testament and see what it says about this passage that we have just read here. In Hebrews chapter 7, notice what it says beginning in verse 1. He says, for this Melchizedek, the one the tithes were brought to, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest. The Bible itself, we oftentimes take and say, well, this is a symbol of this, and this is a likeness of this. God says that the tithes that Abraham brought to Melchizedek, that Melchizedek was a likeness of the Son of God. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily that they are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that it is of the brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted for them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the latter. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth, as I may to say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. The Bible is showing us, just as we've seen, just like sin was in the first Adam and to each and every one of us. The Bible is showing us this principle here. It was before the law. It was under the law. It is the first fruits. You see, it comes back to sometimes we get all bent out of shape thinking that the tithes are somebody trying to put us back under the law. No, it's trying to show us that this is God's principle for putting him first, the first fruits. How are we going to do more for the cause of winning souls to Christ? How are we going to do more for the cause of being able to help missionaries be out there in places where the gospel needs to be preached? How are we going? By letting God finance his work his way. And the first principle of that is this thing of tithe. And I want you to understand. We don't have time. To, I want you to grasp and see tithes existed before the law. Now, there are many passages, and we don't have time to turn and read them this morning, but the tithe also existed under the law. But the thing was, it wasn't just one-tenth part. 
we find that there were three tithes that they were required to pay under the law. The first tithe we find in Numbers 18.21 was for the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. In other words, the people brought a tithe, the first fruits of all that they had, that there might be those that would be able to minister, the priest, the Levites, those that were over the ministering of God's work. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 12, there was a second one brought. And this tithe, another 10%, another first fruits, was for the feast and the fellowship. It was for the activities of the people. They brought a tithe to support those that were ministering to them. They brought a tithe for the feast and the food and the fellowship and the things that they would do together. And then in Deuteronomy 14, they brought another tithe. This one was only brought every third year. That was for the ministering to the poor. They brought in so that they could meet the needs of those that did not have. And if you take and add all that together, that's like 23 and a third percent rather than the 10%. It's almost a quarter that they brought for the upkeep of God's work, of the tabernacle, and of those needs that would be met through that place. In Malachi chapter 3, as the Old Testament comes to a close, the Word of God has something to say about that tithe. And of course, under the Old Testament, it was required under the law. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, I had one of my pastors say at this time, you know, paying your tithes or not paying your tithes, what you put in this bag has absolutely nothing to do with whether you're going to go to heaven or not. You know, we're not under the law. We're under grace, thank God. But the Bible saying here, it's like God was showing them, hey, even when it was under the law, and they were robbing God because they had a specific, under the law, they had to do that. And he said, you know, it's like, you know, God is, he says here, is just wanting to raise the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you're not able to even withstand. But you just keep pulling the window down. <laughs> I don't need your blessings, God. <laughs> keep them for yourself. I'd rather do this myself. I'd rather have my 10% and use it for me. God is saying, look. It's not even in just what you have. I'll hold back the devourer. I'll keep those things from coming along that may actually cost you a lot more. It's not just what God gives us, but it's how he protects us and keeps things from having God's blessing. I promise you, I had to learn the hard way. I am so totally, absolutely, completely convinced, and I don't say this to brag. I say this because I assure you, I know without a shadow of a doubt God gets the first fruits. I do not want to even touch that because I would much rather have 90% or 80% or 70% or 50%. I'd rather have any part of it with God's blessing on it than all of it without it. It's not going to get you to heaven and it's not going to keep you out of heaven. But you see, the Bible gives us the principle that's laid down for these first fruits and it existed before the law existed. It existed under the law and it exists under grace. 
Matthew chapter 23, notice in the New Testament, notice that Jesus Christ himself commends the tithe. Genesis verse, or chapter 23, verse 23, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These all you to have done, and not leave the other undone. Now this was those that thought somehow that by putting their money in, it relieved them of so many of the other more important matters. He says, no. No, you ought to pay your tithe. You ought to put the first fruits in, but you ought not to leave these other things undone as well. Jesus is commending that it's something that we ought to do. If you look over into the Gospel of Luke, and notice what it says in chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18, and notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I have. What is this? This is the Pharisee and the publican. This Pharisee is standing up and he's praying before God. Oh, I pay my tithes and I fast. Well, yet we find that the publican, the sinner, standing afar off, says he would not lift up so much as his eyes in heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paying your tithes, giving God the first fruits of what you have is not something to brag about and feel that it somehow makes you better. You see, the publican thought he was, or the Pharisee thought he was better than the publican because he paid his tithes. We're not saying to start looking around and because you are more faithful or because that you pay more than somebody else, that somehow you're a more spiritual Christian. Notice what he says in Luke chapter 20, in verse 25. Jesus said, and he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. <laughs> he was holding a penny up and said, look, whose who's, who's picture's on there? <laughs> I made this statement sometime, and I know some people, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Pay your taxes. <laughs> and render unto Jesus what's his. Render unto God what's his. Give him the first fruits. I believe that God ought to get before the queen gets hers. God should be the very first because he is top of our agenda before the law, under the law, under grace. What do they practice in the New Testament church? Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Notice what he says there in verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 he says in verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Lay by in store, as God hath prospered him. In the New Testament church, they were still practicing bringing God <laughs> their first fruits. You see, I believe the tithe is just a principle that God has given us that should be a starting point to support missions in this church. Now, it's sometimes actually, and I know it's meant with the best of intentions, because you see something else that we started doing almost, uh, how many years ago it was, 
was that when we put our tithes and our offerings into that bag for the benefit of this church, if it's right for you to use the first fruits for God's work, then I believe for us as a church, it's a principle that we can follow and it only brings God's blessings. And so that's why that everything that you put into the tithes and offerings, 10% of that is budgeted for the work of missions before the church even starts looking at her needs. Now, some have seen this almost like a tax or a levy or something like that. And I've even been told that some people are hesitant to put their money into tithes and label it as such because they don't want, they feel like somehow it's being levied and taxed because part of it's being given to missions. Folks, I'm just saying this from the depths of my heart. I certainly wouldn't be the pastor, and I don't think I would want to be a part of a church that part of their budget wasn't getting the gospel to the ends of the world. That's just a small part of what comes in here. That's the first way that we give to missions. That's where we begin by giving the first fruits of what God gives to this church to the work of missions worldwide, that souls can be won. It's not a tax. It's not a levy. It is the first thing in our budget. It is the first thing that's going to come out, the, out of that. There's not a need that we have here. And I know you look around, we have some tremendous business meetings. Thank God the, the water's not coming in anymore. There's a lot of things that need to be done, but none of them are so important that it's worth putting that before getting the gospel to the ends of the world. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. First fruits. I'm running out of time, but I've got to give you this. The second way of giving to God. The second way for accomplishing this great task that he's given us is not only giving him the first fruits, fruits that, that tithe that ought to be the beginning point, but giving that is benevolent, love offerings, what we give that we can give. Now, as we look through scriptures, one of the great, great examples of this, and I don't have time to turn it and read it, but take time to look there. And you'll find that in Exodus chapter 35 that Moses has had to go to the people for the building of the tabernacle for God. They're going to build a place for God. So he tells the people that they need to be bringing. Now, this has nothing to do with their tithes. This has to do with a need that God's people has to build something for God, to do something for God. And so we find that these people, they start bringing their gifts, their love offerings, because they care about God's work. And they stay, I mean, they're bringing, it's not just their money. I mean, man, they're bringing, they're bringing their jewels and their possessions and everything else, and they're bringing it. But I'll tell you something, I underlined it and highlighted it in my Bible. There's some things that's worth marking in your Bible. You find over and over and over again in those chapters that they came with a willing heart. They came with a willing heart. This wasn't something that was somehow being connived out of them, but they were being forced to do or that they were feeling like, well, somebody's going to think I'm not so spiritual. They came willingly. It was a love offering because they cared about God's work. It was a love offering. God already had the first fruits, but here were specific needs and they wanted to be a part of that. Time's getting closer. I said a few times I'd really like to experience what Moses experienced there. Because the people were so in love with God and God's work. They were of such a willing heart that Moses actually had to go to them and say, please don't bring any more offerings. Don't bring any more. We've got more than we need. Please stop. That's enough. We've got what we need to do God's work. God's people loved him so much 
that they willingly, gladly, joyfully were bringing to be a part of and to see God's work carried on. That's the second dimension. That's how that God gives us to support his work, the work that he's called us to do. We ought to give him the first fruits. And I believe that part of that first fruit should go to support that. But we ought to give because we care. We ought to give. And see, this is the kind of offering to where you give your first fruits, but then you sit down and you, and you figure out, well, I can afford to give this to missions. Sometimes we're giving it out of an abundance because God's blessed us so much. It's even the kind of giving where that sometimes you give sacrificially. You say, wow, you know, that means if I'm going to have to give up my, you ever figure out how much it would amount to just to give up a Coke a day? <laughs> to give up a bag of crisp a day? To give up a chocolate bar a day? It's amazing the things that we spend that it comes down to sometimes sacrificing even just small things. We sing early, little is much when God is in it. I'm saying it's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from our love. First of all, putting God first, giving him the first fruits of all because it's all his anyway. Secondly, giving him out of our love, those free will offerings, those love offerings because there's a work to be done. You know, the thing is, is that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it's interesting because I wish we had time to, <laughs> to look at all the principles that, that God gives us on giving. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, the Bible says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <laughs> where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is your treasure? What means so much to you? You see, it shows. It shows in our life. It shows where we care. It shows in our hearts. And look over just a, just a few pages in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I say a lot of things there. I use the illustration. I didn't bring anything to give my illustration today. You know, you know, if you take you take like a big bowl, and you tear all these strips of paper and you start filling them into that bowl, and it looks like it's full, but then you shake it a bit and it kind of goes down. It's like when you buy one of those boxes of cereal that the box is this big, but there's only that much cereal in it. That's because it's been shaken together. We find that the Bible says you give, and it's going to be given to you, but whatever you give with, that's the way it's going to be given back. In other words, we can use a teaspoon. God's always going to give back, literally, pressed down, shaken together, running over more than what you give. We find that instead of a teaspoon, you might give a handful. Or you might get the shovel out. <laughs> and the thing is, you can't outgive God. This is just out of our love, out of our free will offerings. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Problem is, we just don't believe God so many times. Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Do we believe that? When we're putting it into God's work, we all, some people, you know, I, I, I get asked a lot of times, I've talked to even some of you about it, you know, should I invest for the future? Should I worry about retirement and all these things? There's things in this life that we, that we, that we need to be looking to. Well, I want to tell you, 
There's wisdom in all of those things. But there is no more sure investment that you can ever make than that which you invest in the kingdom of God, that which you invest in eternity. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. God's going to give back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. God's going to use, even in this earth, those things to be back to you. Faith promise. This is a third dimension that so many times is overlooked. I mean, I was in a good, evangelical, Bible-preaching, soul-winning church, and we supported missions, and we set apart part of our budget, and we took up special offerings. But it was later in life that I ever heard of this principle of faith promise giving that I even began to grasp, well, boy, I sure wish we had a lot of time this morning, but we don't. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. You see, the first fruits, that's where giving begins. That's the beginning. Free will offerings, that's giving with benevolence because we care. But faith promise is giving that is beyond. You see, I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how much you put God first. The truth is, is that we all have limits. Now, people's limits are different. You know, I may have a certain amount in the bank account, but Gareth may have a whole lot more. <laughs> Gareth may, his, his, what he can do may be far, far more. And, and I mean, you know, how much money you got in the bank? Andrew, we can only dream. He still trusts God, even though he's been without a job all this time. You see, the truth is, is that even at different times in our lives, with work, without work, all these different things, with little babies, without little babies, <laughs> with big babies, <laughs> we all have our limits. No matter how much we love God, no matter how much we put Him first, we can only give what we have. But may I say to you that God shows us a principle that we ought to be doing everything we can there, but God can do what we can't do. God can do what is totally and completely beyond us. Steve began to touch on some of this this morning in the Bible study hour. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I want you to see what God has done in these other churches, this church of Macedonia. How that, notice, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance, there it is again, of their joy in a deep, deep trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Here's a people. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at what God's doing. A people that are in deep, deep affliction and poverty and yet joyfully. He says, for to their power, I bear record, yea, they did everything that they could, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They did everything that they could. But I want you to look at what was being done that was beyond their power. They can't even take any credit for this. They maybe loved God with all their hearts. They did everything that they could. I bear record of that. But I want you to look at what was done that was beyond anything that they could do. 
praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I mean, these people and all their afflictions and their poverty, yet joyfully they're begging us to let them have a part in the ministry that we're involved. They're begging us to take this. And this they did. Not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave themselves, if I can get you to grasp anything this morning, if you want to see God do what is totally beyond you, that is beyond measure, that is beyond even what you can imagine, first of all, he's got to have you, all of you, Give them themselves. Give them your heart. Let God have you. And so much that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. It wasn't just something <laughs> that was a one-off. This was a grace that could go on and on and on. We find that if you begin to read, you need to read right through these these three chapters of all that God has done, and I could give you illustrations. I've got pages of illustrations here. I don't know where I'm at in those notes anyway anymore because uh, we've, been, uh, we've been way, way, way off of them. I want you to grasp and see that there is a giving. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a, it says, cheerful giver. The word could be translated hilarious giver. You know, this is where we go back to the beginning. It's based on love. I am not asking you, not one of you, to do anything that's going to make your life harder, that's going to make your life worse, it's going to give you less joy. I'm asking you to give yourself to God willingly that God can do whatever he wants. We've talked about all this before. What does God want to do with you, young and old alike? You see, the commission is that we go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part. God may want you to go to the uttermost part. God may want you right here in Jerusalem or somewhere in between. I'm asking you, are you willing? Are you willing to just give yourself to God? Let him have you. Give yourselves first. That's the only way they could get involved in this faith promise missions. Why is it called faith promise? It's because they were promising that. And, of course, as you go through, this is not just something that we've made up. He was coming to collect what had been promised a year before. It's promised by faith. It's promised through much time on your knees. I don't know what God wants to do with you, and we're not in some kind of a contest. I can tell you this, and again, please don't take it bragging. If, if, if I had had any inclination of just what God could do by year by year, by allowing that faith to increase, to be able to trust him, to give by faith, I'd have probably had a heart attack many years ago. God will do what we can't do. We can't take credit for it. What we can do is give ourselves to God, first of all, by being willing to be, to do whatever God wants. He's got to have the person before he can have the possessions. 
I'm asking you today, first of all, folks, there's so many things I'd like to say, and I wish I could share my heart with you, but first of all, does God have you as a person? Do you belong to him? Are you one of the five wise virgins or one of the five foolish? You can't play games with God. It's not some kind of a religious thing. It's not a matter of just being at church and and hoping things are going to be okay. Are you ready? If Jesus returns today, are you ready for when he returns? He says, nobody knows. Nobody knows when it's coming. But once he comes, it'll be too late. And with what he's left you with, may we somehow get this mindset put away that it's what I'm using and what I'm giving. We're asking you to give what God has given to you. It all belongs to him. One of the deacons in my home church many, many years, (laughs) he was a pretty successful businessman and he was asked on, on one occasion, you know, with all the success, why haven't you, you know, maybe just started your own business instead of just being a big wig for somebody else and all of this? And I'll never forget as he came back, it stuck with me from, from the time of a young man. He said, well, he said, you know, he said, God's never let me do that. But he said, you know, God knows what he can trust me with. <laughs> God knows what he can trust me with. He said, you know, maybe if I had more, maybe God wouldn't be able to trust me with what he's given to me. Do you notice in our account, one had five, one had two, one had one. What are you doing with what God has given to you? These principles are something you can be involved in, but the first, the first step is will you give God the first fruits? Will you really put him first? Will you trust him to bless you? It's a choice that you'll make yourself. We find that if you look into the book of Acts in, in closing, well, we took our, our verse from there a moment ago. <clears throat> I want you to notice this. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Those apostles, the foundation of the New Testament church, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He died, he rose again the third day, and he lives. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Jesus promised to send another, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, which he was about to do here. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stead ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go 
into heaven. The same Jesus, the same Jesus that told us to go, the master, the one that is going, that Jesus, he's coming, and he's coming soon. The master's returning, and he will be holding his stewards accountable for all that he has left us with. He's given us the great task to accomplish while he's away, going to the very ends of the world. The job is far beyond anything that we can ever do, but he hasn't asked us to do it ourselves. He's left us the means to accomplish and to finance his work. God will finance it. The real thing comes to each and every one of us. He expects us to use what he's given to us, to see an increase in our investment for the, his kingdom. I asked you earlier, are you ready for his coming? Are you ready if Jesus comes back today? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I hope that you are. I hope that he can trust you and that, and that you know. Are you ready to give an account, Christian, on all that God has entrusted you with because everything you are and everything you have, it comes from God. What will you do with what you have in the time that he gives you? Father, I thank you this morning. And Lord, I, I, I know. I know it seems that it's hopeless. And Lord, I, I, just, I just hope and pray that somehow by the power of your spirit, Lord, as we embark upon this mission conference and try to turn our focus upon a passion for souls near and far, I pray that you would increase that passion in us. But I, help, I pray, Lord, that you would use these thoughts this morning as we do that, Lord, to help us as we pray about what you would have us to do, what you would have us to do in this local church for the cause of missions, Lord, what you would do with us worldwide. Maybe, Lord, you want to send us somewhere else. Well, the job is winning souls. If you haven't told us to go somewhere else, then it's to do it where we are. Jerusalem, where the ends of the world. Take us, use us, Lord. Help us. Help us even, Lord, as this service comes to a close. Lord, as we sing the words of this great old hymn, I surrender all. Help us, Lord. That's all we're asking today. Help us to truly just surrender it to you. Help us not to clutch on with our hands. Help us to realize we are nothing and we have nothing without you. Help us to love you like you loved us. Help us to be willing to give beyond measure. Help us to be faithful in our first fruits. Help us to love enough to give of our free will offerings. Help us, Lord, to take a step of faith. Lord, you tell us that when our faith is increased, that the gospel can be preached in the regions beyond. The Apostle Paul knew that in the latter parts of those chapters as he was trying to encourage this church to give in this mean when their faith was increased. And Lord, we know that that's one way here, that when our faith is increased, that you'll be able to use us, Lord, to help that others can preach the gospel in the regions beyond. In Christ's name we pray and give you thanks. Amen. Amen. 